0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your great, great grace. We thank you for the favor that's upon the ecclesia, the church. We thank you that uh, you have empowered us, that uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you that uh, you have commissioned us to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. We are your representatives in the earth. Hallelujah. We, we are dual citizens. We are citizens of earth. But we are citizens of heaven. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hmm. We thank you. We thank you for the honor, the honor to be your servants. Hmm. We just love you. Lead us into truth and set the captives free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are on a series upside down, upside down, and uh, we, we've, we've covered quite a few, unfortunately, in today's culture, controversial um, topics. And, uh, and I, as, as I started it from the beginning, I said, there's a chance if your mind is not renewed, if your mind isn't, if you don't have a kingdom worldview, there's going to be many opportunities for people to be offended, right? And you guys keep coming back, so you must be a glutton for... For punishment, Uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, this is this is not a series that I really enjoy teaching, right? Because it'd be a lot easier to teach on heaven and angels and going to heaven one day, and and love you, you know, love and all that stuff, and and give you five points in a poem, go home. That that'd be so much easier. But I would not be obedient to the call on, as a pastor, and that's just not me. It's all pastors are called to train and equip the body of Christ to see the world through his eyes, through, through the biblical understanding, and have a kingdom, kingdom worldview, right? And I, and, I, and I thank you for those that have been praying for me throughout these, throughout these uh, messages, um, so let's get in today. In John chapter 18, verse 36, this is what Jesus said to Pilate. Jesus answered, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. A lot of people take this scripture to mean that. That this that Jesus was not concerned about the world, the world, the world systems, the kingdom of this world, that he was more um, concentrated on heavenly kingdoms, and so thus we as the church must not be concerned ourselves with um, earthly kingdoms but be focused on heavenly ones only and it goes as so far that there are some, type, some denominations that actually teach that um, you shouldn't even vote. You shouldn't vote, that uh, you, you should become also pacifism, you shouldn't, you shouldn't defend your country, all of these things that are, are not biblical whatsoever. You have to take the entire Bible as a whole through the lens of Jesus Christ to get you your, underst- your theological understanding. Do you understand that? You can't just take a scripture out of, out, of, out of, just take one scripture and create a whole theology on it. It has to line up with all scriptures. See, what you have to understand is that you can't establish a spiritual kingdom with physical weapons. Right? You cannot establish a spiritual kingdom through physical weapons. Neither can you establish a physical kingdom with spiritual we- weapons, because it's physical. Now, there are warfare that we do in the spiritual realm. We fight the spiritual kingdom with spiritual weapons, and then you had to fight physical, we- physical wars or with physical weapons. Do you, do you understand that? Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God into men's hearts. That's the reason why he came. See, he didn't didn't have Israel, Jerusalem in his sights for his kingdom. He did not have the Roman Empire in the sights for his kingdom. He had the world. And the world was held captive by a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, right? right? Because of the fall, all men were held captive in bondage To the kingdom of darkness. Jesus came to bring this kingdom into the men's hearts, his kingdom. Therefore, this was a spiritual battle. But there is coming a time, the Bible teaches, there is coming a time that Jesus will come and establish a physical kingdom. He will establish a physical kingdom on earth, and there will be physical fighting according to the book of Revelation. Read it. See, Christians think that our goal is to go to heaven one day. And that is now what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that heaven is coming to earth. The new Jerusalem is coming down to heaven. That Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords for all eternity on earth. That's what the Bible teaches. But for some reason, because we don't have a backbone, we adopt a theology, an eschatology, that just says that it's going to get worse and worse, and then one day, magically, we're just all going to disappear, and this whole world goes to hell. Jesus is coming back. Jesus loves his creation. This creation is wonderful. And when you you remove the fall, when you remove sin, it becomes heaven. Fighting with physical means is only necessary when fighting... In a physical battle. See, God intended the kingdom within men's hearts, the kingdom within to flow into the kingdom without. We are to manifest the spiritual kingdom in our physical lives. Where does Jesus say that all corruption comes from? From within men's hearts. So if you can renew a man's heart, You can renew the way that they live. In Matthew chapter six, verse nine, it says, "Pray then in this way: Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." It doesn't doesn't sound to me that that Jesus is not concerned with earthly kingdoms. The only way the will of God will be done is if we as carriers of his kingdom manifest God's will in the earth. Right? The only way the kingdom comes, this side of the cross, is through the ecclesy of the church manifesting it in the earth. We are to manifest it in our homes. We're to manifest it in our schools. We're to manifest it in the workplace. We're to manifest it, hopefully, in church. We're to manifest it in our governments. We're to manifest it everywhere we go. Believers, those that are filled with the kingdom of God within their spirits, is to be manifesting that kingdom everywhere. And our kingdom is greater than the kingdom of God. Of the enemy, we are. Jesus actually said, "You shall, the gates of hell shall not stand against you." You know why? What's a gate for? It's to keep people out. See, <laughs> we think we're supposed to be running from hell. We're supposed to be running into it. Those ga- those gates aren't gonna keep us keep us out. His glory. His glory will fill the earth as this waters fill the sea. That's a little paraphrased. What's that mean? That means how do the waters cover the sea? Everywhere. Everywhere you go. In the sea, there's water. And the glory of God Will cover the earth that way. We are to manifest the kingdom of God in religion, in family, in government, in media, in education, in business and finance, and in the arts and entertainment until the end of days when Jesus returns and set up an eternal kingdom here on physical earth. Revelation says that Jesus will rule the nations with an iron rod, and Isaiah prophesied the following. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, for a child will be born unto us, born to us. This is fitting. We're going into Christmas season. We haven't got to Thanksgiving yet, but don't want to put the lights up yet, but... um, on, then on, and forevermore. Amen? So that takes us to today's topic. Government. Government. So as you've already seen, <laughs> my goodness, as you've already seen in the scriptures we shared, God is involved in government. God is involved in government. But there are many that say that Jesus never talked about politics. Jesus wasn't involved in government, and so the church should not talk about it or be involved in it either. They would say things like, we need to be more heavenly minded. And they forget those individuals in the early church that were so heavenly minded that they totally turned the world right side up. So is it true that Jesus never confronted government? We shall see. I read a story of a pastor that had a rare opportunity to address a joint session of Congress. All 435 representatives and the 100 senators were in attendance. And the media was rolling its cameras. What they thought was going to be a polite encouragement with a little spiritual edification soon turned into a televised Tongue lashing, and this is what he said Woe to you, egotistical hypocrites! You are full of greed and self-indulgence, everything you do is done for appearance, you make pompous speeches. And grandstand before these TV cameras. You demand the place of honor in banquets, in the most important seats, wherever you go. You love to be greeted as congressman or senator. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You say you want to clean up Washington. But as soon as you get here, you become twice the son of hell than the one you replaced. Woe to you, makers of the law, you hypocrites. You do not practice what you preach. You put heavy burdens on the citizens, but then opt out of your own laws. Woe to you, federal fools. You take an oath to support and defend the Constitution, but then you nullify the Constitution by confirming judges who make up their own laws. Woe to you, blind hypocrites! You say that if we had lived in the days of our founding fathers, you never would have taken part in slavery. You say you never would have agreed that slaves were the property of their masters, but you would have insisted that they were human beings with unalienable rights but you testify against yourself because today you say that the unborn child are the property of their mothers and have no rights at all. Upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed in this country. You snakes, you brood of vipers, you have left this great chamber desolate. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Now, of course this address never really took place. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Who, who would be so blunt? Who would be so rude to address the nation's leaders this way? Certainly no Christian, no one that claimed to be a Christian would do such a thing. Well, it's true. Maybe no one claiming to be a Christian would do anything like this. But Jesus did. Jesus said something exactly to this effect to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day. If you want to read it, go to Matthew chapter 23. Oh, but Jesus went saying any kind of thing like that to politicians. Those were religious leaders. Think again who were the Pharisees and Sadducees? We don't, under, we don't even understand the times that our Bible was written in. They were not just religious leaders, but they were the political leaders of Israel. Jesus was involved in politics. Paul was involved in politics. He stood, he, his calling, his, his call, calling, was to the Jews, the Gentiles, and to kings. That's what it says in Acts. He. He stood before kings. He preached before king, the gospel before kings. He was accused, he was accused and it caused a great riot, riot of proclaiming another king other than Caesar. John the Baptist was executed for being political. And this... Prophets before him. Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel because of the covenant that God had with them. Do you understand that? The reason why Jesus was able to come against the political system of Israel was because that was the covenant people of God. But through his death and resurrection, he defeated another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan that held all humanity in bondage and became the King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all the earth. But that's a completely another different message. Now, every king, every Lord, every knee shall bow to the name of Jesus. Jesus was political, and his ecclesia, the church, should be also. So what is a biblical way to understand government? First of all, God is the one that ordains governments. God ordains governments. Governments is not a man-made thing. It is a God thing there are three major governments in scripture. There's civil governments, there's religious governments, the church government, and there's the family government. And if you noticed, those that represent a fallen nature rebel and kick against all three of those governments and how God designed them to function. Then governmental authority was not created by God to be oppressive, but to protect people they serve. Do you understand? See, we think that government, we can, you can have the idea that, well, government's just evil. No, it's not. People are evil. See, you have to look at this, is how would government function if there was no fall, if there was no sin? I mean, the marriage government is such a beautiful thing. You have a man that is called to lay down his very life for his family, that every decision he makes is done for their best interest. And then a wife that submits to his leadership, his willingness to serve them and children that submit both to the husband and the wife. But today we have children running the household. Because of sin. Because we don't have a kingdom worldview. Government was not, government authority was not created by God to oppress, but to protect the people they serve. As a pastor in church government, church leadership, we are to serve the congregation. We are to sh- shepherd the flock. We are not to oppress and put them in bondage and fear and guilt and shame, but to build them up, edify them and feed them and nourish them. Because of sin, we have corrupt governments. There are many biblical accounts of leaders called by God to stand up in in opposition to oppressive leaders, either unto repentance or unto judgment. God institutes government, but this does not mean that God approves of every specific government. It is the system of governing that God has ordained. Not the individual leaders or methods they use. The leaders themselves may not be of God but civil government in and of itself is definitely of God. Number four, God's Ordained government, God ordained government to provide civil and social order. This is the purpose of government. God, this is the purpose of God, government. God and the ways of his kingdom are in opposition to anarchy, rebellion, and lawlessness and wickedness. You understand that? So the question is, is what form of government is the most free? What form of government is the most unoppressive to its people? Another question is, is why do some governments produce prosperity and others produce poverty for its people? What type of government produces ultimate opportunity for the individual and what type of government produces scarcity and limits the potential of the individual? These are questions. We live in a world. I mean, you should, you should sit back and say, why are some of the poorest nations on earth poor? We'll get to all that in just a bit. But first of all, we have to be for the minority. And do you know what the smallest minority there is in the earth? The individual The individual. God, the smallest minority in the earth is an individual, and if God is not for the individual rights of the people, they are not for the minority. You cannot take away individual rights and say that you are pro minority. You can't take away from individuals for the collective good and say that you are pro-minorities. God is for individual good of each and every human being. Think about this. Abraham, an individual, was chosen by God. And because of that individual, all the nations of the world will be blessed through faithful Abraham. God chose an individual nation, Israel, and through that nation, all of the humanity was blessed. Jesus says that He is the Good Shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one individual sheep. Jesus went to the cross as an individual for the collective, but salvation has to be received individually. Even the body of Christ is made up of individual members that make the body whole. Do you understand this? See, the body is only as strong and healthy as its individual members. If if your liver is not healthy, it affects the collective. If there are individuals in our society that are not healthy, it affects affects the whole society as a whole do you understand that the body is only as strong and healthy as the individual members that make up the body and the collective the collective of a nation is only as strong as the individual citizens that make up that nation what makes a nation prosperous what makes a nation struggle it all comes down to one simple word choices choices there are individual there are nations that offer more choices than other nations you have you have you have someone in Vietnam and and they are planting their crops by hand. Everything they do is by hand. They harvest by hand. They plow their field by hand. They plant their seeds by hand. They did everything backwards there. But they do it all by hand. And then you have someone in another country, and they have a mule, and they're plowing the field with their mule and, and tilling the ground and, and harvesting with, with, uh, with, a, with a reaper pulled by a mule. And then you have another nation and they have a a, a a a a motorized tractor that they sit on. And then you have America where the farmer climbs up into his million dollar tractor, air conditioned, types in the GPS, sits back and enjoys the ride while he's watching some Netflix on his on his phone. Is it because the farmer in America is better than all the farmers in all the rest of the world? Is it because he's smarter? Is it because God loves him more? What is the reason that this farmer is able to produce food for almost the entire world, collect, you know, all the farmers together, and those other ones are barely making enough to feed themselves and maybe make some money on the side? Opportunity, choices. Their choices are limited. You know, it was Thomas Jefferson who said that freedom is having choices. So, if it's true, if this is true, how do we lose freedom? We take away people's ability to choose. And how do we take away people's ability to choose? Let's say you're in a restaurant. Let's say you're in a restaurant and you have $50 in your wallet. You have $50 in your wallet and the most expensive meal on the menu is $50. You have unlimited choices, don't you? You can choose anything you want on that menu. But let's say a thief comes in. A thief comes in and somehow steals $10 away from you. What happens? He not only stole the $10 from you, but he also stole your choices. You now cannot choose everything on the menu. You have to now only choose things up to $40. You understand that? This is something that government does all the time. Through taxation, they take your money and thus reduce your choices, thereby reducing your freedom. Again, I'm not sa- talking about anarchy here. I'm not saying that we should not pay our taxes. The Bible repeatedly tells us to pay our taxes and pay that is what is due. What is due. But you have to understand this principle you have to understand this principle when understanding how governments from a kingdom worldview are to operate. Remember when we talked, in, when we talked about the, the kingdom worldview on business? That money should be seen as a certificate. It should be seen as a badge. It should be seen as a medal for serving someone because the only way that you can get money without stealing it, is by serving someone. And you could be serving someone in a good way, or you could be serving someone in a negative way, but you're serving them. A drug dealer serves his addicts, right? And they give him a certificate of money for his services. And the same thing with a gas station. They give you a service of providing gas for your car and you go in and give them a certificate for serving you do, do, do you understand that money is is nothing? Money has no value without the opportunity to serve someone Do, do you understand that money is nothing without service Do you know that during the, um, this when the Soviet Union was it was in full power before the fall of the Soviet Union they were the second holders of gold in the world second largest holders of gold in the world but were the citizens of that nation prosperous no because they didn't have the opportunity to serve I'm not saying that we don't pay taxes. There are things that, that a government is ordained by God to carry out for the good of all people that we cannot do for ourselves. National defense is one such institution. That is, a, that is in place by government to protect its citizens from those who wish to do us evil. But the more we ask our government to do for us as individuals, the more it costs to do those things, and thus the more taxes are needed, so individuals have less choices and thus have less freedom. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the cactus, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set Free those who are oppressed. Throughout Scripture, bondage, slavery, oppression is always seen as negative, it is never seen as positive. God's will is that all people would be free, free spiritually and free physically. It's the church in a kingdom worldview that ended slavery. Freedom has always been in the will of God. Even in the garden, Adam and Eve were free. It was God who gave them two trees the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even in the garden, they were free before the fall. And they were free to choose for themselves. And we've been choosing for ourselves ever since. So the question is, is what type of government promotes the greatest amount of freedom? Right? If God is for free, it's against oppression, against slavery, against, against um, being um in bondage, then in his kingdom worldview, his kingdom worldview for us is freedom, we have to ask ourselves what type of government promotes the greatest amount of freedom. As you see, we got this graph up here. We get a little tricky. So right down here This is less freedom. You got 0% freedom down here, right? Then right here in the center, you got 50% freedom. And then the farther you go to the right, the more freedom you have, all the way up to 100% freedom. So on the left, because freedom is choices, is a type of government that controls all the tools of production. controls all your choices. On the far right is complete freedom. The government takes nothing. You can own anything you want to own and everything you want and you can earn everything you want to earn. You get to keep it all. So if, we, so if we were to place different nations along this gauge according to the amount of freedom they allow their people, what would that show us? For instance, if we took a country like North Korea, where would that fall on this scale? A country like North Korea, I mean, has almost no freedoms for its, for its people. It, it, it's, it's, they don't even allow them to leave their country. <laughs> That's something you'll, you'll find the more oppressive, the more bondage, the more control a government has on its people, they actually have to build walls to keep people in. They shoot them if they try to escape. So that would fall far to the left, wouldn't it? There's less freedom, right? How about, how about Venezuela? Where, would, is that, where does that fall on the scale? That, that'd, be, that'd be, I mean, they're eating cats and dogs and Stealing, stealing uh, baby formula and, I mean, that, that'd, be to the, that'd be to the left. How about Vietnam, Cuba? They would all be to the left. They'd be all to the left because, because they, these nations, these governments, controls almost everything. And what is the common denominator of nations that would be to the extreme left of this chart? They would be the poorest nations in the world. But the farther you move to the right of the chart, to the more and more freedoms of the individual, you will see that nations become more and more prosperous. Even China, who was, is a communist country, had to institute free market systems into their country for them to become financially prosperous. They're still, it's still, they're, the freedoms still aren't like many countries, like the United States, and the people are still, many of them, in poverty. Those that, those that live in what we call poverty in the United States, and welfare and government assistance, live better than the majority of ninety-nine percent of the world. So what are so what are the terms? What are the terms of these two extremes of government? How how you know we have to have a kingdom world so we have to understand the terms. There you go. The terms are socialism and free enterprise. Socialism and free enterprise. We're hearing a lot about these terms in today's media and today's college campuses. See, socialism is governmental controls on the tools of production, free enterprise. Is enterprise free from government controls? You understand this? Parents, you better be listening because you need to teach your kids this because the schools aren't going to be teaching it to them. Now, there is nowhere in the world that is 100% free, has 100% freedom. Why? Because God institutes, institutes governments. And for governments to exist and for governments to to do, they have to tax because go- governments do not produce anything. Do you understand that? Governments do not produce. Governments cannot produce jobs. The only way governments can produce jobs is to get out of the way. So, there is nowhere that is 100% free. And there are there is nowhere that is has 0% freedom. You understand that? This is a scale. The the closest thing to total government control, total socialism, total um, government control in everything would be a prison. In a prison, everything, almost every choice is made for you. Unless you can trade something for some cigarettes or something. So the higher the taxes equals the greater the government control and The governments on the left have the highest tax rates and the governments towards the right take the least. Okay? So where are we in an, as a nation? In 1950s, in the 1950s, the United States was at the 20% mark. That is the government took 20% of a person's income and people put 80% of what they earned into their pocket to serve to produce. Today, you want to know where we're at? We're at the 40% line. Just about 40% of everything we make goes to the government. And we get to keep the remaining 60%. While we are still on on this side of freedom, we're still on the side of freedom, as you can see that we have lost significant freedom since the 1950s. The more socialist the system, the more it hurts families. Think about this. In the 1950s, the typical family in the 1950s consists of a husband who went off to work every day and supported the family, and the wife who filled the vital role of homemaker. Have you ever wondered why we were able to live off one income in the 1950s, but for some reason now People say it's impossible. Have you ever wondered why there is such a push to almost make women feel that they're less of a human being if they don't work? Now, if you want to work, that's fine. But there's just things that have to change in the family government. Right? There's... Got to be equality in the home as far as things getting done in the home. You don't you don't send your wife to work and then make her come home and do all the work in the house. Be the homemaker too. Understand that? I'm sorry. I just I told you I was going to offend everybody. Yes. <laughs> so in the fifties it was one income, and 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 the wife who. Filled the vital role of homemaker and understand i'm not gonna get mad here people mad at me but i don't care whatever the family is better when there is a parent in the home the family is better children are better it it's it, it's it's better but I understand there's reasons why people need to go to work. And after the children leave the home, many people choose to go to work. That's fine. That's fine. But now in the 2000s, a typical family consists of two working spouses who combine earn barely enough to make ends meet. The woman tends to make less than the man. That's a whole other topic. There's reasons why. On average, on average, women make less than men do, um, and she generally contributes forty percent to the household, while he contributes sixty percent to make a hundred percent. Understand? On average, women make forty percent less than the man; the man makes sixty percent, the or makes forty percent, and the the uh, man makes sixty percent. Now, do you remember the tax rate in the 1950s? It was 20%. Do you remember what the tax rate today is? 40%. So, as a result, women, big government socialism is oppressive to women. As a result, a woman will work an entire year, and at the end of the year, what will she have to show for her dedication and effort for her family? In effect, she will have placed every penny that she earns into the government's pocket because she's 40% of the household's income and we're taxed at 40%. Think about that next time you go punch the clock. She worked an entire year to fund the many government programs which in their inception sound wonderful but in their implementation require more taxes for them to even work. These two forms of government are complete opposites. One side will always want more taxes. The other side will always want less. One side believes that government should take care of everything. The other side believes that government should only take care of that which we cannot take care for ourselves. One side believes that government is more capable of making the best decisions for its people. The other believes that an individual should be able to choose for themselves what is best for them? I read on social media someone saying, we got to get back to the tax, tax bracket that we once had when we were sending people to the moon. I didn't get involved in it. But, but I thought, how dumb can you get and still breathe? How can you look at our society and think, that's what we need to do? We have created... A nation that is so wealthy that an individual, Elon Musk from SpaceX, is sending his own rockets to the moon. And what's interesting about him, it's his money. So he thinks, you know what? That's pretty stupid to shoot rockets to the moon and then just let them get destroyed. I'm going to design mine so when I shoot it to the moon, the boosters come back down and land right back on earth so we can use them over and over again. (laughs) See, that's the thing about government. When you go out and buy something for yourself, there's two things that you consider. You consider the value and the cost. Now, when you go out and buy something for somebody else, it's getting close to Christmas, you are still conscious of the cost, but not so much about the value of the product. You know, lime green. Yeah, they'll, they'll wear lime green. Right? But there's another type of purchasing called third-party purchasing. That's when you go out and buy something that's with that's not for you. You're not going to use it. And you're not using your money. So you don't care how much you spend and you don't care how well it performs. That's what the government does all the time. That's why, let's let's say national defense. National defense is ridiculous. The spending is ridiculous. You know, we all heard reports where they spent $200 on a hammer, right? Yeah, that's what happens. When government spends money that they don't it's not theirs and they're not going they're not going to use it they don't they don't care we send rockets to the earth and and rocket one time use billion dollar rockets and we just dispose of them do you understand this i mean can we reason together a little bit can we have some common sense These two forms of governments are complete opposite. One always wants more taxes, the other one wants less. One believes that government should t- take care of everything. The other believes that the government should only take care of those things that we cannot take care of ourselves. One believes that government is more capable of making decisions for the people. The other believes that the individuals should be able to choose for themselves what is best for them. But Chad, didn't the early church practice socialism? I'm glad you asked. And In and, and Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that, that any of their things he possessed was his own, but they, all, they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who, were, all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. See, many people will point to this passage of scriptures and says, as if God is in, um, encouraging socialism. First of all, This is not socialism, it's generosity. People are giving of their resources, of their own free will. It's a huge difference. There's only two people that can steal from you, a thief with a gun, and the government who also has a gun. Generosity, this is generosity, it wasn't taken by the law, But given by free choice. There is no, and also there is no indication that this was ever a command or even suggested by the Lord or his apostles. It's just an expression of love that was a result of receiving God's love on the day of Pentecost. And although the desire is to be condemned, and it's a beautiful picture of Christian charity and unity. It didn't work very well, and it didn't work very long. Not many years later, there were many, many poor saints in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul had to go up out and make collections to send aid back to them. Some people say that the reason why that they did this is because they were convinced that Jesus Christ was going to return imminent. And they didn't need those things. Sounds like people from the Y2K era. But, um, but, but I, I believe that the Holy Spirit put it on their hearts. And the reason the Holy Spirit put it on his hearts is because in 70 A.D., Rome came down, destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, and took everything by force. So those, those that refused to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit lost it all anyways. So, those that were obedient and did extravagant acts of generosity stored up treasures in heaven. See, we just gotta read it a little Understand. Common sense. History. Look at that stuff. Lastly, What makes a good leader? We've seen what makes a good government system. What does it take to be a good governmental leader? It's one word, integrity. Integrity. If we desire a government that is godly and has kingdom principles, then we need to choose men and women that have one vital element, and that's integrity. Because if a person does what is wrong, they won't do what is right. Right? Right? When when we choose political leaders, we are electing people to represent our values and our interests. How can we know that what we want and what they will do will coincide? We have to trust. (laughs) We have to trust that they have integrity. We, We have to trust that they will do exactly what they promised they would do. And you can look at your political leaders and see this is what they promised and this is what they've done. Webster defines integrity as meaning soundness, reliability. You, th- you think of a structure that has inter- integrity as being solid. You can put your trust in it. There are certain things that make up integrity of a structure, right? There are certain elements that make up the inter- integrity of a, st- a structure so it doesn't fall down, correct? Correct. But there's also also materials that make up an integrity of a person. There's two things, morality and character. Morality and character. See, this goes back to having a kingdom worldview. We taught on morality, correct? And where morality comes from, right? Go back and listen to it. Morality is refraining from doing what is wrong. The first question you need to ask yourself is where does this individual get their understanding of what is moral? Again, go back and listen to how we get morality. How even an unbeliever gets morality. If a politician does not believe in God, let alone does not get his morality from God, they have no morality at all. The only morality that they, you could say that they have is the morality of their own making. So why would any child of God support those that mock the name of Jesus, mock God, and actually war against his values? So you have to be more you have to have morality, but you also have to have character. And, the, and character, on the other hand, goes further than just believing something is wrong. It's doing what is right. In James chapter 4 verse 17, it says, "Therefore him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin." It's, not enough, it's just not enough to, to know what's wrong and what's right but you have to do what's right. You know, your kid comes home from school. Your kid comes home from school and says, yeah, little Jimmy out on the, on the playground was getting picked on. They were calling him chubby. They were calling him, they were calling him a geek. They were calling him all these names, calling him a loser. But guess what, mommy? I, 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 didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't do any of that. I didn't say anything to him. Why did they not say anything to him? Because they had morality. They, they knew that, that was wrong. But unfortunately, the kid did not have character because they didn't do what was right. They didn't stick up for the kid that was getting picked on. They didn't do what they needed to to be done, what they could do to help and do what was right in the situation. Character is doing what is right when no one's looking. There, were, there, was this, there was this master sculptor, this master sculptor, and he was, he was sculpting this huge angel, this huge angel. And he was behind this marble, and he was just putting fine detail into the hair on the back of this angel, just putting minute details. And someone came in, and they said, what are you doing Why are you wasting so much time putting all this extravagant detail in the back of the sculpture when it's going to be 50 50 feet in the air and have its back to the wall? No one will ever see or know the detail that you put into the back of the sculpture. And he looked at the person and says, but I will. But I will. So if we want a nation... With a kingdom worldview, we need to choose leaders that have integrity, made up of morality and character. Logically, one must first be moral in order to be a person of character. By definition, if a person is doing what is wrong, immoral, he cannot do what is right, character. So how do we know if a politician is moral? In this country, we have party platforms we have party platforms that states what they stand for. This is where you can see if if a king if if they have a kingdom worldview, do they honor God and His ways of seeing the world? Does their platform platform of views proclaim morals that line up with God's morality? Next, you have to trust them. You have to trust them that they are that they will have the courage and character to carry out those morals and promises for the betterment of the nation, of its individuals even. That they will do what they said that they will do, no matter what comes against them. Hmm. True biblical governmental leaders are willing to serve its citizens even to their own hurt. True government leaders serve. They don't make people dependent on them. You should always be afraid. Not afraid. You should always reject any government leader that tries to make you dependent on them. Just like you should reject any pastor that tries to make the congregation, the church, dependent on them. We are to be, t- be dependent on one and one alone, and that's Jesus Christ. But they do it to their own hurt, and when do what's right no matter what the cost. Our American heritage is filled with men and women that gave up fortune, security, safety, and even their own lives so that we would not live in tyranny but have freedom, have choices. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, protecting our our unalienable rights from our Creator, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Can I have the worship team come up? In closing, I'd like to read what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, in a very hard political t- times for the church. You have to understand the amount of persecution that the church was under when Paul wrote this to Timothy. You have to understand that um, they, that church, the church was being um, persecuted. That it, uh, they were dressing their children up in lambs skins, throwing them into the circus Maximus, and turning the lions on them. The time of Nero, the time of Nero, um, he would have dinner parties in his outdoor gardens, and he would light his dinner parties by tying Christians to stakes and setting them on fire. And in this in this, Paul writes this. First of all, then I urge that Entreaties in and in prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all goodness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you that your ways are perfect, your ways for government is perfect, it does not oppress. It does not enslave. It does not put those that they serve in bondage. But they lay their lives down for the citizens of the nations that they serve. And Father, we understand that in this fallen world, that government has become corrupt. Government in the home, government in the church, government and our, in our civil um, legislation and, and um, institutions. So right now we just pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those that are in authority. That they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling them to a better way. That they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit calling them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That they would have a heart for the people and not for themselves. That they would not be self-centered, but they would be focused on what is right for the individual citizens of a nation. That they wouldn't be focused on getting reelected, but they would be focused on truly being servants. Heavenly Father, we just ask for peace, peace in this nation and peace throughout the nations of the world. We thank you for our leaders. We thank you for those in government. We thank you for those that are in authority. We thank you that we do not have to live in chaos. We thank you for their willingness to serve. And we just bless them in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we just ask that you would Pour out them the wisdom from on heaven, that they would have understanding that is beyond this world, and that they would create systems of governing that would bless all humanity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we live in. We thank you that we have an opportunity in this country to choose freely who will lead us. And may the church rise up and choose leaders that represent your will, your kingdom, and your values. Awake, awaken the sleeping giant so that we can pour out your blessing upon the earth. We love you, we praise you, and we celebrate you. For you make a way where there is no way. You tear down walls and bring us into a good place prosperous place, a place flowing with milk and honey. We just love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.charisntc.org And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.